0: One, two, one, two.
1: Turn that music up a little. Shout out to Haley. Mark Thompson, you a fool for this one. Let me change my words. You a king for this one.
2: Make it kind. M I P. With Massimella Mark Thompson. Make it kind. Get woke. With 110th NAACP convention here in Detroit. And um, I thought we'd do well uh, to take some time to talk with an NAACP stalwart and legend. Now, she doesn't like me saying that. She's very, very humble. But she has been a long-standing worker in this organization and at the moment probably uh, has the most chronological, the living person with the most chronological history uh, with the organization from a worker point of view, from a staffer point of view. NAACP board chair Leon Russell praised her during his speech at the 110th annual convention.
1: Now I also must lift up the lady who provided my introduction this evening. Listen, for 65 years, this lady has served this nation as a soldier in the NAACP Army. She has served continuously since 1954, as a member of the staff. She's held every position throughout the organization. She's worked in the field as part of Branch and Field. She's been responsible for national convention planning, and she has spent many years in our development department where she currently serves as our senior development consultant. She has done everything there is to do in this association. And I am just proud to call her a friend and a mentor. Would you please give a warm vote of thanks to our official Walking, Talking, Fussing Historical Archives, Mildred Bond Roxborough.
2: And we want to hear a little bit about her and her family and her history. Uh, Mildred Bond Roxborough is here with us. God bless you. How are you? Thank you. So you are from Brownsville, Tennessee, correct? I
3: was born in Brownsville, Tennessee, yes. Mm -hmm. And I I spent uh, childhood there uh, up to about uh, 12. To about 12.
2: Yes. Um, When did you first know about the NAACP?
3: Oh, when I was about three or four years old. Is that right? Of course.
2: So how did you find out? What, what was the encounter at three or four that let you know about him?
3: My mother's lap. I was on my mother's lap. My, my parents, I should say to you, were teachers. And they, uh, I had two sisters who were six and seven years older than I. So they would have sessions in the afternoon or evening, I should say, actually, uh, telling my two sisters about civil rights and uh, things, uh, current events and uh, history in the present, things they should know. Mm-hmm. And one of the things on which they focused, of course, was black history. Wow. And uh, as a part of those discussions, I would hear about the same thing that they heard, and I was a little precocious for my age, so I understood uh, in terms of what they were, she was speaking about was that this was, the, this was an organization designed to help correct uh, mistreatment. <laughs> mm.
2: So if you were three or four. Yes. You told me yesterday you are, if you don't mind me saying, may I say your age? May I tell my audience your age? Yes. You're 93, correct? Yes, I am. So for 90 years <laughs> of your life, you have known about the NAACP. Yes, I have. And the NAACP is 110.
3: Yes. <laughs> wow.
2: So mistreatment. Were Did you know at that young age what was meant by mistreatment? Did you know what mistreatment was? Uh, I,
3: I knew when I did something wrong, uh, <laughs> I knew that there was a standard of right and wrong. And what I understood was that people were not treated uh, to their advantage. They were mistreated. They were treated badly, let me put it that way. And, the, and, and of course, uh, Shortly in the process, ensuing uh, months and years, I learned uh, more specifically that uh, there were, besides the churches, there were organizations which addressed the issue of helping people who had been mistreated and who had uh, actually been uh, hurt or jailed or uh, began to understand those very shortly after that period.
2: Were your parents activists?
3: Uh, my parents were, uh, yes, they were. They were intent, attempting, uh, I should say to you, we lived in a county, Haywood County, in, in West Tennessee, which was one of the three uh, areas geographically in the state of Tennessee in which blacks were not permitted to vote after Reconstruction. Mm. And they were concerned about uh, getting the right to vote again in uh, hayward county and of course they uh, undertook to uh, start uh, organizing a branch of the naacp
2: now did i read also some at some some point your parents founded a town or something
3: uh, no uh my mother was born in a town which her father founded gotcha okay all right and right. right. that was in arkansas yeah. yes
2: did, did you get to know your grandparents at all did you know them
3: I I knew my my father's mother uh, very well. She lived until she was 83. My mother's parents, I never knew because they had died before I was born. And of course, she met my father in college in Jackson, Tennessee at at Lane College. And she's from Arkansas, so I was not around her family, but they had died, her parents had died before I was born.
2: Both your parents went to Lane College.
3: Yes, they did.
2: So what years were they in college? Do you know?
3: Oh my, that was before World War I, and the war started. My father left, had to leave college to go, and he was drafted to serve in the war. But my parents met in college and, and married before he went away uh, to, to serve in the war.
2: Where did he serve? Do you know what country he was in mostly?
3: No, he did not go abroad. Oh. Uh, the war ended less than a year after he had been drafted, and he did his service time in the, in the United States. In the United States.
4: Yes.
2: It, it's, it's just really amazing to hear. We talk about college opportunities and what they're lacking today for our people, but then to hear of your parents in the early 1900s going to HBCUs and and getting graduating and getting an education. That's amazing.
3: Well, it was an accomplishment that they believed they should undertake individually before they met each other, and they agreed wholeheartedly afterwards. Uh, uh, My mother, uh, when he went away, she uh, had gotten a teaching certificate after two years in college, and she taught while he was away, When he returned, uh, she uh, actually continued to go to school in Lane, extension school, they called it then. Mm -hmm. And she graduated uh, with honors after her first uh, two children were born. Wow.
2: Your parents were activists somewhat? Were they members of the NAACP?
3: Uh, I don't think they were members at the time they were attempting to recruit people to register to vote. Uh, I think uh, they were aware of the NAACP, but I'm not sure that they were both members. They did join during this period. How soon, I can't tell you uh, whether it was before they got the branch charter or it couldn't have been afterwards because they would have been members by then. Mm -hmm. And the branch was chartered in 1939. Okay.
2: And this was the branch in the county, correct?
3: Well, it was called the Haywood County uh, Branch, N-I-A-C-P. Brownsville was the county seat.
2: Brownsville was the county seat, okay. Um, You are a highly educated woman yourself, aren't you?
3: Well, I don't know when, but when I was nine years old, I started settling the Crisis. I don't know whether that that uh, qualifies us uh, to your question.
2: Well, you, you, you well, and that's important. You you start selling the Crisis at nine.
3: Yes, I asked my mother if I can tell you um, if I could uh, sell the Crisis and if I could write Roy Wilkins, who was the editor of the Crisis, and arrange. To sell the Crisis, she said, "Well, if you think you can do that, by all means." And she provided the paper and the pen, and I proceeded to write to him and ask him, who was the editor? He was the editor of the Crisis. To ask him if I could sell the Crisis, and he came back. He wrote back and said that, "Of course you can, and your 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 share of the money will be five cents."
2: (laughs) You were in communication with Roy Wilkins even before he became executive secretary of the NAACP. You knew him before that? Oh, yeah,
3: well, the, yes. Well, see, at that time, he was the editor of mm-hmm, the crisis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, of course, that's, that's the official organ of the NAACP. Of course, of course.
4: <laughs>
2: and I guess I want to get my, my timing right. Would Walter White... Have been the head of the organization then, when you were selling the Crisis?
3: Uh, uh, no, not at that time. Okay. But he became so while well, I was still selling it.
2: And so, who was and who was the head of the organization when you was first selling the Crisis?
3: Weldon Johnson.
2: That, isn't that James Weldon Johnson? Mm-hmm. Wow, wow, that is that is amazing. Um, did you did so? Did you did you ever meet James Weldon Johnson? Yes, I did. Tell us about that, if you would.
3: Well, he was. Well, I was quite young, of course, but he had uh, uh, come to uh, Kansas City. Our parents m- moved perforce, I should say, to Kansas uh, as a result of some of the activities uh, related to the NAACP.
2: So, well, explain what you mean by that. You, by, by force. I'm sorry. By, explain what you mean by force. They were they were literally ordered or forced or chased out of town. What happened?
3: Uh, Well, my mother was out of town because a brother had become become critically uh, injured in an accident. This was around the time of Christmas and my father was there and I was staying with relatives because he didn't want me to stay in the house alone in his absence because he worked every day. And uh, this happened uh, in terms of the final, uh, as they said, final straw. Uh, the intimidation, the threats, and whatever. And, and my father had been jailed several times and had been beaten uh, by the police uh, prior to this. Uh, leading up, there was an escalation of, of things which, which occurred. And uh, as a result of that, um, and my mother happened to be out of town at, at Christmas time, and my um, f- father was still there. However, he was told by his grandmother and, of course, to give you that backstory on the, his grandmother, uh, his, his grandmother, his mother, and my grandmother, I should say, uh, uh, was the uh, daughter of a former slaveholder uh, who had other children. And one of his children, a sibling, a half-brother of hers, became coroner of the county of Haywood and the county seat of Brownsville. And he was a doctor as a a result. Now, he was white, of course, Mm -hmm. and he uh, had been given to understand that uh, they planned to kill my father. The, The sheriff and some other officers of the town were planning to do this as an example of what would happen if you continued the fight to vote, to try to vote. Mm. And she, he, he drove to the country where she lived and told her this and that he said you should get Ollie out of the town immediately uh, because th- this is serious. They do plan to kill him and, and I, would n- I know because I have heard the discussion mm. firsthand. Mm. And so my father left that night, uh, Christmas Eve night. And I didn't know he had gone either. And our house burned completely to the ground. It uh, and I, I'm sorry, I, I forget why you, the the real essence of the question. I'm I don't well, i do not know.
2: Well, well, uh, we were talking about your your, your parents, and were we and we were talking about your education as well. But but just since we're on this, because now I'm distracted in this story too. That's a, not distracted, but I'm caught up in it. Uh wow. So your dad left town. He, left he, town.
3: he, he Nobody, none of us knew. Okay. Uh, except. And that, that was
2: probably for his safety. I
3: think, oh, oh yes. My and my grandmother uh, promised. Uh, she told him he had to get out of town because she didn't want to see him killed, and uh, that his uh, the the uh, county coroner had told her, and he would not lie to me. She said. Because they were half brother and sister, of course, mm-hmm. and uh, he took care of her health needs. Uh, yeah. They were fr- they were friends, and I mean it was one of these open, uh, you know how those things happened in yeah. the South in those days. Well, he left, and none of us knew it. But the house it was a two story frame house, it it uh, burned to the ground. And they thought they, the people who did it, thought he was in the, had been in the house at home when it, it was uh, burned, and we didn't know until uh, a day later when he called from Kansas City. He went where my mother was. Uh, that uh, when it happened.
2: How old were you at that time?
3: At that time, I was about seven or eight.
2: And you had two sisters, right? Yes, they were and, in college. They were away, okay. Did, did the people who burned the house know that there was a child, you, that child, living in the house?
3: As, they, as, they, as is the case in a town like that, they knew not only who, uh, that there were children, they knew we were a family of five. They knew what our names were. And they knew how old we are, and they probably knew that I was staying with another relative who was the, who was the undertaker, the black undertaker in the I town see, I, see, I see and uh i I would uh if I had to hazard a, a guess not, I, I can't prove this, but I don't doubt that they knew that they expected him to be in the to home alone because they knew my mother was out of town I see.
2: So your father
3: and other sisters were out of the city in college. Yeah.
2: Um, th- th- so your father left. You didn't know either. No. So what uh, was your what, what was your reaction when you found out your father left?
3: Well, I was afraid. Uh, you know, as a matter of fact, uh, they thought that they hoped that he had gotten out of town and gotten as far as Memphis, a uh, place yeah. like that. But they didn't know. It was two days before uh, we knew uh, that he was in Kansas City because, first of all, it took about that long to get there uh, from Brownsville on the train, and, and uh, second, there would be nobody who could attest to where he was because he had gotten a friend from Jackson to come and drive him uh, to the uh, station, not in Brownsville, but I the see, next station.
2: I see, I see. Wow, that's an incredible story. So then you would later join your parents in Kansas City?
3: Uh, the, my parents, my mother, came back. She was never, they never threatened to kill her. Mm-hmm. And she said, they aren't going to keep me away from my home. Uh, so she came back and arranged for me to stay with these relatives on an ongoing basis, and she went to an adjacent town, bells, I think it was called and t- and t- taught because she ne- we needed the money, and she taught in bells, which is about forty miles from the uh, Haywood county wow, wow
2: so um well we, we we I asked you about you being educated, <laughs> and I asked you. Um, about you being highly educated and then we, s- we talked about the crisis yeah and, so yeah, yeah. but you like your parents went to college you got a master's degree Yes, but well, did I you, d- believe in education, you know. and you studied in is it Paris yes. as well uh, so you were something else yourself
3: no not really <laughs> it was a, a work study program when I, um, I first went to Mexico And uh, part of the American Friends Service Committee, which is a Quaker group, had a very well-known study program, work work, study abroad, but work study so you could get credit in college or graduate school for for certain uh, certain amount of credit for if you worked. Uh, And it it involved maybe teaching in a community or whatever your discipline was. There was a job uh, as a volunteer Mm. you could do. And that was why I was in France and why I was also in Mexico. All right.
2: All right. What what did you major in, in in college? Social psychology.
3: Social psychology. Yes.
2: So what what were you hoping to do with a social psychology degree
3: well, i had, i never thought about the naacp but uh, i thought i would do organize work with an organizations a nonprofit, which was uh, uh interested and committed to helping people who were less fortunate and who needed uh, assistance in guidance in developing their lives and uh, in other words a social service
2: right right um So, you said you never thought about the NAACP. So, 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 how did it come to pass that you would work for the NAACP?
3: Well, we we lived in Kansas City. I I was there until I graduated from high school. Then I went to New York uh, to live with a sister uh, who had graduated and had gotten a job with Pepsi Cola in New York. It was a an award for a contest. And uh, it, as a result, uh, I went to New York and lived with her and attended Howard University. It was during World War II, mm-hmm. so travel was very difficult, and at holidays, not, not really possible for civilians, as they called us, because they transported the armed services mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. primary uh, priority. But uh, I went to Howard University for two years. Then I came... Stayed in New York and finished uh, college at NYU.
2: At NYU, mm-hmm. and and the, you got the social psychology degree at NYU.
3: I got uh, my major was social psychology in, okay. at NYU, and uh, then I worked for eighteen months, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I went uh, enrolled to go back to school, and found that uh, the American Friends Service Committee was offering this uh, this. Uh, Program for students, and I decided to participate in that. And I did, in, uh, as I said, in Mexico and then in France. Uh, but the Mexico came before I went to college, and France came after I had started.
2: So, again, when did the NAACP come into play? How did you go from that to start oh, working?
3: Well, uh, after I finished college, I went to graduate school and finished graduate school. The sister with whom I lived stopped working for pepsi and had been uh, recruited to work for the NAACP, and she did for two years. That's how I got to know about the offices in New York and, and the activities, the programs, and that type of thing, and meet people who were NAACP employees because she, of her work there. And uh, she married and went to Pittsburgh to live. But the man who recruited her came back to me and, and uh, said that he had a temporary job he'd like me to do for the NACP. And I said, oh no, I'm going on to graduate school and, 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 and get my doctorate. I'd gotten the master's by this time. Right. And, and he said, you can take six weeks and do this, and then go the first of the year. So anyway, uh, not to uh, take too much time. I uh, agreed to come and work temporarily in 1954. Wow. Uh, going back to, uh, to work on my doctorate in 1955. something? <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and whatever postgraduate work uh, I have done, it has been NAACP work. <laughs>
2: been here ever since. Yes. So let's see, 1954. 54. This is 2010. Adele, our chief content officer is here. 60, was how you, you doing? It? Come on, she turned to years. me. Uh, In 1954, yeah. I think so. If that's
3: if that's what the chairman said the other night. I had never counted it. Really, I mean. Uh. In terms of being specific, I had no reason to. But 54, uh, 1954 to 2019 would probably be about 65
2: years. 65 years. Um, uh, the, the 93-year-old did that math quicker than you did, Adele, and me. Lord have mercy. So <laughs> 65 years, which it, in it, to most people... I mean, that's a lifetime. It is. Let alone working somewhere for 65 years.
3: My father died at age six, about 62. So it it was was his lifetime. Yeah, yeah.
2: Boy, and you've held every position uh, administrative assistant, assistant, uh, assistant. I've been as far away from the accounting department as I could. But you just did this math in here. Why'd you do that? You could have done, obviously, you could have done the accounting too.
3: Well, I, I I don't know. I just didn't didn't want to be involved in in the fiscal affairs because we'd had too many problems uh, in the NACP right, with right. accuracy and right. and various reasons. So,
2: so sure. as soon as this we finish talking, I'm gonna go tell everybody out there that you did this math in here, and they need to now. Put you in the accounting department once in fall. <laughs> well, you, you know, need to spend some time She there. do it <laughs> no she didn't do as fast as you did yeah. Dale didn't do as fast yeah. as you did um, so nineteen fifty four Brown versus board, so all of this is going on, I, I guess with that happening around the same time, mm-hmm. that kind of lets you know the urgency of, of coming here to work didn't it
3: yeah yeah well by that time uh. I had uh, that was May 17th
2: look at this uh, when, the decree. when the decree came. I,
3: I'm telling you this only because we're here in Detroit and I happen to be here in Detroit working on, with the uh, executive uh, secretary of the branch uh, f- on the first freedom fund dinner that uh, Dr. Anthony chaired uh, I, I was here working in, uh, for the, on the membership campaign. They had an annual membership drive. And uh, a part of the membership drive was to get life memberships too. But they decided to have this first dinner at which on which, they would fo- at, at which they would focus on life memberships. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was here at the Detroit office on Verna Street, which is where that office was. Uh, of the branch on Verner Street Mm -hmm. here in this city uh, for six weeks and the uh, Arthur Johnson who was the executive secretary of the branch and I were working on the Freedom Fund membership campaign when the Supreme Court uh, issued the May 17th
2: in, in, in 1954, that is—that's amazing. It's a coincidence. Yeah, and yeah. I mentioned
3: it Because you were here, and that's yeah. right.
2: No, well, it's a beautiful coincidence, and probably even providential. Uh, 1955, Emmett Till. You remember that, I'm sure.
3: Oh yes. Yeah.
2: yeah. So, where were you in the organization at that time?
3: hmm
2: What were you doing in the organization at that time in
3: 1955? Uh, oh, where was I? You see, when I first started working for NACP, I was on what they called the field staff, and I traveled uh, the branches across the country. Uh, wherever the uh, my boss, who then was the director of branches and field administration, uh, wherever he determined uh, a branch... Uh, needed and deserved the national office assistance for a project like this branch did for the dinner, then I would go and help that branch do whatever it was, whether it was for five days or two days or two or three weeks, depending on what it was. Mm -hmm. So, I traveled like that uh, uh, throughout the 50s uh, as a field director at large.
2: Did you... 1955, um, did you go to Montgomery?
3: In, n- no, I didn't go to Montgomery, but we had uh, another staff person who did. Okay. Um,
2: did you know, though, Rosa Parks? Did you did you get oh, to know I her? I
3: knew her very well. As a matter of fact, my sister lived with her when she went to Montgomery to work for the, when she was working for the NACP before I, in right? the forties. Wow. Uh, she stayed with Rosa Parks. Wow. That's but and, and I got to meet her, but I met her in later years and got to know her very well. Yeah, yeah. She's a very, very kind and generous woman.
2: Yeah. I mentioned Walter White earlier. Obviously, you got to work with him, didn't you?
3: Yes, he, he uh, died in 1955. So, I w- as a matter of fact, he actually hired, approved my hiring and interviewed me on the basis of a request from the man who recruited me, yeah. who was my immediate boss. Yeah. And he died about a year after I started work for him, started working for the NACP, but I knew him uh-huh, very well.
2: So l- let, me, let me go, before I go forward, let me go back again. Did you ever meet Dr. Du Bois? Dr. W.B. Du Bois?
3: Yes, and, and, and wrote him to get a paper. Uh, 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 he would You could get his speeches uh, for Uh, you know, occasions when he spoke and you heard about it and you wanted to get a copy of that speech. I wrote him to get a speech. uh, I don't remember which one it was. But he said he would be glad to send it to me for $5.00.
2: W. Du Bois charged you five dollars for his speech.
3: I wouldn't publicize it, but yeah, I'm sure it was well known. I mean, it was no secret. So (laughs) he minded money.
2: (laughs) Is that right? So, um, but did you get to meet him in person? Did you get to meet?
3: I'm saying I met him, but I mean we were not. It was just the fact that I met him more than once. uh, uh, At at, at, uh, the NACP office, I met him. Uh, just as a visitor, I was a visitor. And this is in later years before he left the country. Okay. okay. Uh, and you know he went to Ghana where yeah. he died, yeah. but um, <laughs> uh, but he he actually we we thought that was the funniest thing that five dollars could get that speech. <laughs> I, 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 I got the five dollars. I mean I sent the five dollars. And that, that speech was really, my husband wanted the speech. And right? he said, Mildred, won't you get a copy of Dr. Du Bois speech for me? <laughs> by that time I was married. And, and, and I said, Well, yeah, I'll try, but he's very moody, you know. He, you, don't, I, you never know what he'll do. Yeah. And he was uh, moody. <laughs> but, but I got
2: the speech. That, that's, that's something. Um, Dr. King, did you get to meet Dr. King?
3: Yes, I, I met him more, several times, and he got our our highest award one year. I don't remember the year, but I I uh, was working on the dinner at which the award was when I first met him. The Spingarn. And the Spingarn, uh huh. And I'm still working on it, by the way.
2: You're working on this year's and, Spingarn. And the
3: script for the Spingarn dinner when you came into the office, wow. or, or, or rather, when you stopped at the door.
2: And So how long have you been doing it, actually doing scripts for the programs and the speeches and what have you?
3: Oh, that's that's just, uh, I do it for the convention each year. I don't know when I started uh, doing it. I'd have to look at the record. Uh, I can't. Uh, probably about, uh, when I was in the branch department, probably about 19, uh 65 or somewhere in there, uh, we started doing uh, just for one event, eventually, and it grew as these things do.
2: Was there any uh, leader of the organization that you you felt closest to, that mentored you the most, or that was kind of your favorite? I know it's kind of an unfair question. But of all of them, you, I mean, you you, you you met Walter White, you met Mr. James William Johnson, uh, Roy Wilkins. Well,
3: I worked uh, longest with Roy Wilkins, and I worked first as his administrative assistant, then as his executive assistant, then as uh, an assistant director Uh and I got to know him very closely in in the sense of his his thoughts, his habits, uh, and I he taught me a lot. I learned a lot from him, in the sense of uh, he was a very honest and and conscientious man, and and somewhat withdrawn, but and and uh, one of these eloquent, quietly eloquent speakers, and he was true, truly committed to this organization and to its cause. Mm -hmm. And I would say if someone um, asked me who I might uh, admire uh, the most, it would be hard, but I would probably say uh, Roy Wilkins uh, at that point. And uh, then I would qualify by saying my later experience, I I knew him in my youngest years and I learned so much from him. It was as if I were in training. And then subsequently I became uh, knowledgeable about some of the other directors uh, executive directors, as they were called. Mm-hmm. And and I, uh, more than one of them I have, for, for whom I have a, a tremendous admiration and, and respect. And, and then I would drag in Mr. Johnson today. I mentioned him the other night in that speech, uh, to say that he is the kind of young uh, leader that I was sorry we were had not been able to see a way to recruit Uh, 10 years ago Mm. and to save uh, the uh, problem of uh, uh, making choices that were not quite compatible with the leadership of the organization
2: Mm. Um, you 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 saw a lot happen throughout history and you've been faithful to NAACP Uh, did you ever get discouraged or doubtful? Like all of our organizations, you know, the NAACP has been through its ups and downs. It's hard being freedom fighters. You know, that's hard work, tough to raise money. Did you ever get discouraged and say, hey, maybe I've had enough of this or or what?
3: Well, I would get uh, discouraged at times, but I always felt that the NAACP would survive. And I said to myself, well, what would you do if you left which would be uh, for which you would be committed and I have never wanted to do anything even as a as an employment uh, for which I had not, no commitment and so I would say uh, when I married I mean I could have stopped work and gone somewhere else and then uh, I said that my husband said well you don't need to go anywhere else well why, why even worry about it and, and um, I, I can't think of another entity uh, that I had seriously, have seriously considered, although I'd been offered jobs, yeah, very, yeah. money and more money, you know, and that kind of thing. Wow, wow. But uh, the fundamentally, uh, I think it goes back to my roots of having been so early concerned about the mistreatment as I saw it then Of our people, which I didn't know was our people at that moment, and I learned quickly and naturally. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I ever uh, seriously considered leaving uh, the NACP once I became an adult and involved in working for it. Your your husband to retire,
2: maybe. Did did your husband um, supported you?
3: Oh, he was very supportive. He was. And this is another story now. It, it won't take but a minute. Please. He uh, <laughs> he was born here in Michigan and and uh, actually not in Detroit, but in Idlewild, okay, the uh, resort used to be. And he had a sister who was born here. Uh, his he, I don't think he has any relatives here any longer uh, because they're all deceased, uh, as far as I know. But uh, what was the question?
2: <laughs> he supported you working oh, for yes.
3: that. He was a legal redress chairman for the for the Michigan State Conference of the NACP branches when I came here to work for the Detroit branch <laughs> uh, in 19 in when,
2: 1954.
3: Yeah, but I got to know him in Washington D.C. Uh, when he was in Washington uh, working uh, as some kind of an assistant. At that point, he was a Republican, and he worked for. Uh, A a job they created, I think, at the uh, State Department, uh, because they were there were no blacks around. John Foster Dulles, who was then Secretary of State, and he he was a Republican, so and representative of of the lawyer, practicing lawyer, and so forth. So apparently, he filled that bill. But anyway, I uh, met him in Washington.
2: But did you meet him here in Detroit? Though when you, I thought oh, you.
3: Yes, I met him, but I didn't get to know him. Right. You know, and, uh, yes, he was very active in, as, as the uh, legal redress chairman, and they won to uh, a, a couple of important suits for which they got commendations from Thurgood Marshall, and they were all so happy about that. You know. Yeah, yeah.
2: You mentioned it's hard to say. You know, any favorite in terms of leadership they all were admirable and, and they were the respect.
3: At a, at a given time and place, I think, uh, the ones uh, prior to the, the current uh, situation where we had uh, uh, choices uh, uh, which were not uh, in, in the best interest of the association which caused the problems leading up to... Uh, this uh, the current uh president ceo's uh election
2: yeah yeah um but i know all of them feel the same way about you they all admired and respected you i mean you're probably everybody's favorite I,
3: i i respected all of them they just had varying degrees of expertise and various degrees of compatibility in fitting in the position, I'm talking about the uh, a- executive directors who came and served one or two years. Right. And there right. were several uh, preceding uh, President, Johnson. President Johnson. And uh, that is an open fact, too. You know, uh, so that uh, they are good people. Yeah. And uh, as a matter of fact, I met one of them last night here in the hotel.
2: I was there, right? <laughs> um, What would you say to young people who are listening to this and watching this about getting involved, joining the NAACP, or, or at least just getting involved in freedom fighting?
3: I would tell them to find the nearest youth council and join it and, and get involved at an early age because it will be your, benef- your uh, benef- benefactor uh, in later life you'll realize it, and, and growing up, you will experience some of the privileges that the NACP was responsible for uh, prying out of our democratic uh, government. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> you, you, um, you also knew Clarence and Juanita Mitchell? I'm sorry. You knew Clarence and Juanita Mitchell, too, didn't you?
3: Oh, very well. Yeah. Uh, Clarence Mitchell was one of my favorite human beings. He was a thoroughly good person as well as extremely intelligent, and he understood how to achieve results in difficult circumstances. He worked so well with the uh, Congress, with the Senate and the the House, that... uh, but before he long before he retired, they were calling him the hundred first right. senator right. and he and even the ones who did agree with him they the, he was the kind of person you respected. Mm-hmm. You may or may not agree with him, but there was no way you could avoid respecting him, yeah. and his wife was a a a a delightful woman who was also very highly intelligent and, a, and an attorney as well. And, and she was also involved as a volunteer for the NACP, that's right, that's right. as was her mother. Yeah,
2: you, you, must, you must have known her mother, too, oh, didn't you?
3: Oh, Lordy, yes. <laughs> that's the job to which I was going when I was hired to temporarily for six weeks to go down and do a fundraising membership campaign for the Baltimore branch. Wow. And, and I can say to you that I had no idea what kind of reputation she had, yeah. but she had a reputation, Ms. the mother was right. the president of the branch, Mrs. Jackson was yeah. her name, and she she uh, had a reputation of being impossible to please, wow. and uh, I had no idea, I wasn't told any of this when I, I went uh, to Baltimore, but uh, the they introduced me at a staff meeting as the person who would be going to Baltimore here in New York, there in New York, before I left. And at the meeting was our general counsel and the assistant counsel. And, of course, it, uh, when they told, introduced me and said that Mildred is going to Baltimore, uh, there was a, 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 a laughter among the staff. And finally, the general counsel said, I, I sure wish her well, and I hope I'll see her again, but I'm not sure I will. <laughs> and the general counsel was Thurgood Marshall.
2: <laughs> Is that right?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was in in 1954, you see. He had not left the NAACP to take over the Legal Defense Legal Fund Defense, right. until two years later.
2: Until two years later. <laughs> um, uh, of course, we're talking about Miss um, Lily Mae Jackson. Um,
3: yes, Lily Jackson, uh, the lady who had the terrible reputation. <laughs> Every, the whole world knew it, you know. <laughs>
2: but you got along with her.
3: Oh, I, I survived her. And she, she liked me so that she wanted to try to get me coupled with her son who she wanted to have a wife. And, and I spent a considerable time avoiding this because uh, by his, I, I can't mention his name, but he w- was not the kind of husband material I would ever be able to survive. <laughs> so I spent considerable time uh, hiding uh, oh, when she, <laughs> in, her, in order not to be coerced, you know, she had a way with her, and not that I would have. Married him necessarily, but to not to be thrown together with him and encourage pushing him to take me out on dates and whatever one does to get to the point of asking somebody to marry them that you're forced to. (laughs) So, So it was a. Interesting, but uh, uh, Mrs. Uh, Jackson had that reputation in the NACP. It was an open secret. Mm -hmm. I'm not divulging a secret. No, right, right. right, Yeah, this is history. This is history. And practically everything I've told you would not be harmful, you know, in the sense of uh, saying something which would hurt some reputation or other.
2: I'm not going to take up too much of your time. You've been so generous with it. Thurgood Marshall, what was he like? What impact did he have on you?
3: He could be brusque and and uh, and rowdy, and he was a very uh, highly intelligent, and he had this facade of being just an ordinary uh, fellow, hail fellow well-meant, and he, he was a brilliant uh, thinker, yeah. and he was enduring and... And of course, he had been, um, shall I say, mentored by a man whose name was Charles Houston. That's right. And Charles Houston set up a process in his offices and at, at Howard University Law School where they would do their trials on, on law uh, in terms of the developing a case, which he did uh, to Uh, Present to the which would go to the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. It came uh, together as a combination of nine different cases in those communities. But he chose them and well, and he was the mastermind behind the strategy of training the lawyers and getting them uh, equipped to face the Supreme Court. And Thurgood spent a lot of time, and he was a mentor. He was a mentee of of uh, Charles Houston cuz yeah. he was a very young man when he started work for the NAACP
2: um at a point just in a little bit of history uh, there there were at different points along the way there there's always tension between the different black oh, organizations okay. how did that affect you or how did you navigate that when there was tension between let's say the NAACP and the SCLC or the NAACP and Malcolm X or the Black Panthers how how did that how did that impact you? Did you we'll just did, talk
3: d- about it and complain about it? Uh, <laughs> and uh, they so you were, never
2: thought about leaving NAACP to join the Black Panthers? Never. <laughs> okay, I'm just uh,
3: asking. I understood and appreciated their their feelings and their need to express themselves uh, in terms of uh, acquisition of civil rights. I understood that. But to me, it was the wrong way and an ineffective way of doing it. I felt it, it would cause more negativism, which it did, than, than accomplishments. But I felt they had a right to do it. Yes. And uh, I think people in the NACP said, oh, it'll die in time. But, but nobody wanted to push them out of existence. It was uh, opposition that we don't agree with you. We don't we don't support you necessarily, but when we had a meeting at, at the headquarters in Baltimore many years ago, of an Afro-American crisis or something we called it, we invited we meaning the NACP Farrakhan and, and members of the various opposi- what we called the opposition groups. Yes. They all came. Yes, right. And of course, are you are you that age that you would be, you've been there at that meeting? I was
4: at that meeting. <laughs> you
3: were too, young, too young to have been so.
2: Oh, that's why I love you, Miss Roxborough. <laughs> uh, no, I was I was there. I was a very young man then, but I was there.
3: But uh, but while we disagreed with each other, uh, we uh, did not fight each other. Right. And as a matter of fact, the bail we put up in Mississippi uh, paid for the uh, Black Power advocates who had been jailed.
4: Yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, a lot of that bail money was for that purpose. Yeah. We eventually got it back, actually it worked out well.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, let me ask you something, forgive me that noise. You, is, is Bond your maiden name, is that? Bond, okay. yes. Okay, so are, were you and Julian Bond related at all?
3: Oh, and, uh, not closely, we were about third cousins.
2: Okay, third cousins. All right,
3: all right. That's about, uh, and the, you can count, I guess, still count it. Too, uh, <laughs> I knew him very well, by the way, because he served on the board of the NAACP uh, for uh, many years before he became chairman. And and I got to know him uh, well when he was young, when we were both young, because he was in the uh, Student Nonviolent Leadership Conference and one of the founders uh, and then he became president of the Atlanta branch in ACP and served for 11 years.
2: Yeah. Meg Evers, your relationship with him?
3: Oh, I worked one of the first first assignments I had was to go to Mississippi to interview farmers who had been subjected to economic reprisals and, and I worked with Medgar and uh, we uh, uh, had to had to tr- really travel at night and we would drive through the delta to visit the farmers to get information because the idea was and it it did uh, work we um got information and uh, their needs and, and to the extent possible uh, then that information was taken back to New York and put together and w- then ACP was able to arrange for uh, to get funding funds which were put in the tri-state bank mm-hmm. uh, so that these farmers would have an opportunity to uh, get some money to help tide them over the winter months when they were being denied uh, uh, credit because of their NACP activities or what they thought they would, the farmers were doing uh, and not following the uh, advice of the white uh, landlord. Right. But uh, did I answer the question?
2: Well, it, 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 you, you, that's how you met him. You were working with him on the farmers. That's how you met Megar Evans.
3: Yeah, that's how I met Medgar and his wife Merrily. And as a matter of fact, I stayed with them the first time I came here. And that, and that would have been then. I came there. And I got to know him very well. And she and I became very good friends over the years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know the children very well. Of
2: course. Um, you are such a delight. And it's such an honor to speak with you and to, to get this history uh, and to share it with everyone.
3: Well, I hope, I hope uh, I'm helpful in the sense of... Giving you, I hope uh, I try to be accurate, and I, and I trust that I have been. And I don't have anything to add or to uh, say, make it sound greater than it is, because I'm just an ordinary individual who was committed as a result of the way I was reared uh, to be concerned about the plight of people of color and of our uh, our own people. And uh, it was uh, sometimes somewhat confusing when I was young, uh, when I was a child in Brownsville, because I came from a family, my father's family. uh, They were all very fair people with light brown hair. But anyway, I came out of a family environment until we got involved in the actual uh, uh, efforts to get people to register and vote. I thought all people looked like our family looked, all of us looked like my family. But they I didn't know, at, at three and four years old, I didn't know that, uh, because they were all very fair, yeah, see, that's I what see. I'm saying. Right, right, right. And, and I didn't know uh, uh, until a little later that uh, the people who looked like me, and I was darker than the others, uh, you know, those... But uh, I, I didn't know that uh, f- people looked, who looked like me were the mistreated, too. Right, you
2: know, you know right, right. away. <laughs>
3: My parents were preaching at home and all of that, but it didn't occur to me that they were telling me about me right, right,
2: at right, that right, moment. Right, right. Um, well, I thank you. I honestly do. Well, and not uh, talk too much. No, no, it well, was beautiful.
3: I answered the questions that you really wanted. You no, know, you did, you did. Mm. That, <laughs> no, you did. Because this is something I prefer not to do. <laughs>
2: well, you, you did it wonderfully and beautifully. Thank you, Mrs. Roxborough. Thank you, Mrs. <laughs> Roxborough. You're of Mildred Roxborough, ladies and gentlemen, uh, here are very special guests at the uh, NAACP 110th convention. And um, she's working at 93 in her sixty fifth year working here. And I'm I'm she's working. This is her job. I'm taking time away from her job as a staff member uh, to talk to all of us, so we are, we are so grateful, okay? Um, folks, uh, tell everyone about the podcast, Make It Plain. Uh, subscribe to the live daily show at MakeItPlain.com, please, at every day, 7 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time. We do a live daily show as well that you can get on your podcast app, and then we have the regular podcast, too. So please tell everyone, uh, God bless Mildred Bond, Roxborough, and the NAACP. Our slogan this year, when we fight, we win. Absolutely. All right. Fired up, ready to go. It has been Made Plain.
4: It's time to get woke.